0: Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flowline, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gauthier.
1: Welcome to another episode of The Flowline. Matt, how goes it today? I'm pretty good, I would say. I'm excellent,
0: I'm ready for some holidays in the way that, like, you sort of get stressed out preparing for the holidays, but you're also like, oh, maybe, maybe I'll get a day off here or there, you
1: know? Yeah, no, it is the season, and uh, the holidays are upon us, and I am excited for many reasons. It's just good, you know, for, especially for the kids. The holiday magic, my son had his third birthday this weekend, and this is the first time he actually understood the concept of gift for me, open, excitement. So getting to see the whole, you know, all of that happen, you know, for all the parents out there, you get it. If not, you're like, I don't really care. But it was super cool. So, you know. Happy birthday, Ace. Yes, thank you. Yeah, the big three. He was a champ. He did well. He played, you know, his heart out and slept pretty good that night. So that was good. But anyway, holidays upon us. Hopefully everyone is going to have some time to spend with family and friends, safe and physically distanced manner, of course. But with that said, Matt, Great episode today. I feel like this one is something we've touched on in different aspects, but tying it all together, I think, is extremely important. And that's total cost of ownership. And, you know, before getting more into the account management side of things and really more on the business side of things, this was not a term that I was really familiar with. But, you know, just as time has developed and, or as I guess I've developed, and and this is something you and I have talked about, is it's important for us to understand all the indirect and direct costs associated with us providing a service and a product to our clients. And so what a great opportunity to sort of explain that on the podcast and what that goes into and sort of maybe give people an idea of, again, the total cost of using a company or a service, just a lot of the things that we don't necessarily think about, Matt. So how would you properly define total cost of ownership?
0: I mean, uh, you know, there's a better academic definition out there and anyone can Google it, but I would just say that total cost of ownership is exactly like it sounds, but it's It's identifying both kind of the clear direct costs and the indirect costs of, you know, ownership of a process of, you know. So this is something I think you've, we're on a previous podcast where we're talking about with like orphan wells, right? Mm. It's like, what's the total cost of ownership of extracting oil and gas? Well, you know, some folks would argue that that cost isn't being captured by the right people. And that's why you have wells that are done with their productive life, that there's no money to abandon them. Responsibly, and that that should be part of the total cost, right? Of you do, you have your drilling, exploration, drilling, completion costs. And then when the well life ends, many people aren't accounting for the fact that there's going to be some cost. It's not huge relative to everything else, right. but there should be some money set aside. And when these companies aren't able to do it, you end up with wells that need abandonment and there's no funds to do it. And, you know, I, I think costs, uh, you know, Gary Langford has. I love when he sort of emphasizes there's a difference between price and cost. You know, something can appear very, very cheap, but in the long run, actually, the overall other factors sort of make the real cost be much larger than what it appears at the outset. So basically, I think from a total cost of ownership, we're we're trying to figure out those direct and indirect factors or costs that come together to really establish the total cost of something, mm-hmm. not just what it looks like as far as the price tag
1: or the sticker that you initially see. Right. And I think where a lot of folks, you know, get hung up is, and depending which level you're at within, let's just, you know, you, you, the drilling fluid world, you know, as a mud engineer, you're looking at say daily costs. Okay. Well, that was the cost of the day and that's how much product I used. And then, you know, for us in the office, we may look at entire well costs or, you know, and then oh total well, the, the cost of the pad, but Matt, it is hard to define because there's so many different pieces that affect other pieces in the whole value chain, if you will. So, could you give examples of, of different pieces of these direct and indirect costs that folks may just not really think about?
0: Yeah. So, uh, I mean, the first one that we hear a lot about is, you know, for example, with respect to product pricing, would be okay. You know, what's the concentration or what's the activity in this product and you know, that can vary. Some folks can change it, you know, whenever they feel like it, to call it a different product or do whatever they're going to do. We see a lot of times where a competing product, it yeah, it's cheaper, but it, it takes twice as much. So the total cost of ownership of running an oil-based mud system with cheapo emulsifier versus a higher, you know, a premium product, the premium product is actually cheaper because you use less of it when you're looking at total cost of ownership. You know, and then I think the other part is just direct consumption. How much are you, do you actually think you're going to use, you know, by way of people, you know, if if you charge less, normally you, you know, pay me now or pay me later, you're going to make up for that. And I've seen this, you know, when I was overseas, we were working on eight rigs in one area, eight offshore rigs, and we lost the work for one of them to a competitor who offered much lower pricing and at the shore base they thought we'd lost all the work because that's how much product they sent out for the first well because guess what they were going to add a lot more product through the hopper to gener- you know to regain some of the the money they were losing by charging that little you know and so it's even execution or or utilization adding products when they're needed not right. just because you can and, th- and there's value there right that's sometimes it's an inexperienced mud engineer sometimes it's skill and unfortunately sometimes it's folks who are saying I, I need to make money and, you know, hopefully that's not very often, but we I have to acknowledge that it's, you know, it's real. Yep. You know, the another one, we, even when we talk about transportation, like trucking, you know, there's two different ways to look at it. In some ways, like, all right, well, if we use a more concentrated product, I don't need to, you know, I don't need to send out as much product, which is good, but there's a certain limit to some of that value you may contribute. Some of it is like, wow, the truck is lighter, so I pay less, you know, per hundred weight. But the other fact is like, If I use two less totes, I'm probably still filling a truck, right? right? It's only when I can incrementally eliminate a truck that I can really talk about significant savings, right? You know, and and then there's stuff that just, I would say I put down like base oil, like diesel, for example, right? So it's used by the rig. The operator pays for it. We use it as our base fluid for drilling fluid. And so we'll track the volumes of what we use and that sort of thing. But is it showing up on the mud bill? When you're using a different kind of base oil where you're tracking it separately, usually it is. So am I comparing those things correctly? Um, We've actually run into situations where we've provided the base oil, for example, for a competitor as well, you know, a competitor working for the same customer on a different rig. And so all those costs were showing up for us and they were being assigned to our wells, you know, and it was like, wait, so we always are going to appear more expensive. Are you capturing, you know, are we isolating that? Well, you know, and And we were dependent upon our competitor to track their consumption because honestly it was that, you know, we would have to, we could track how much we sent out to that rig, but we were the buyers, right? So we were on the hook for the full volume and and charging that. Yeah. So Hmm. just, you know, that stuff can be a little tricky. And sometimes you're not in the room. Like let's say the customer's running their own numbers, which generally they don't want the people trying to sell to them, (laughs) you know, but it, you know, I, I can think of another example where we provided all the calcium chloride and so our competitor always looked cheaper than us, right? And it was well we weren't in the room to explain to procurement that, you know, we were supporting some other things. So the real, you know, total cost of ownership for was was inaccurate for our competitor and inaccurate for us, you know. Yeah. So, but kind of swinging over to some of the really big stuff, you know, I think this is where we like to say we add a lot of value, thinking about rig days versus cost, right? I mean, Justin, why don't you go on? You know, how often do you try and you try and show a customer where value is when they work with us, just relative to time?
1: Yeah, and it really comes down to it's is explaining through experience, saying you know at the beginning of our drilling campaign, you know we may have been X percent higher on a you know per sack basis or whatever, looking at it on a small scale, but then really extrapolating over time the efficiencies gained the days that you've been able to shave. Really, you know, operators are always looking to shave costs, and where that considerable amount that's enough to move the needle is always through days or even times hours if they're really f- dialed in. And so if we as a company can come in and offer enough value and provide solutions or perhaps just ideas, or really through our drilling fluids experience and expertise, allow them to reduce their days, Or in some cases, casing strings by being able to do enough R&D on the back end to then come up with a solution that can considerably save them either, you know, time or even casing. I mean, the cost of ownership for that well for them is considerably less. And the cost of ownership, ultimately, even for us, may get reduced even further beyond just, again, what they see on paper. And so, again, it's been a lot of times, you know, you go into an office, oh, well, you know, these folks are a lot cheaper. Well, then you compare other data and you really look at everything more holistically instead of looking at the, for, you know, looking at a tree, you look at the whole forest. That's where it comes down to. But it's oftentimes it's hard to relay. And so that's where I think it's important for us as a company. I think we've done an extremely good job of capturing that data to be able to tell that story and articulate, hey, over time, here's what we've been able to accomplish. And even showing it for customers that were already like existing customers which is, you know, another fantastic reason why we've developed and why we use AES Analytics is because we can capture that. And we can go back and we can play with data to see, okay, you know, for the first half of 2021, here's where we were. And then for the second half of 2021, here's where we are. And ultimately, you've seen that total cost of ownership over time get reduced, they can then plug that into their internal systems and say, wow, okay, Hmm, what we thought AES was maybe a little bit more expensive on a per sack basis, they've actually helped us save millions of dollars. Yeah. And that's where, you know, prize is.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting now as as we get faster and faster, and especially on conventionals, you know, it's one thing when you're on a 100-day well and you knock off 20 days, which is a huge home run, right? That's 20% less time. Yeah. But, you know, most of our wells being 20 days or whatever, you know, is knocking off a day is... You've got to do that a few times before it's real, right? Like yeah. sometimes you can get lucky, and then other times it's like, no, you've actually made a difference in our operation, and we have a large enough sample set that this really speaks. And so it's it's interesting where you you mentioned you know days or or going down to hours, where even looking at tracking well intervals, mm-hmm. going from tracking the curve as a separate section, right? Like yeah. we don't do that anymore, right? Uh, but most customers, the curve was a separate interval. It took it could take a day or two. You had you know, all this other stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And now it's just sort of part of doing business and it's integrated into either the
1: intermediate or
0: the production interval.
1: Right. And another thing too is is talking about hours. It's not, you know, ultimately it comes down to days on wells, but sometimes you may spend a little more, let's say a customer has challenges on their trips and all, oh, you know, status quo is 12 hour trip in and out. Well, then all of a sudden you spend maybe, you know, say an extra grand or two on the mud to where they, they're able to get in and out without having to wash ream or make a wiper trip. And then say they save four or five hours. Well, four or five hours on a spread of a day rate is far greater than spending a little bit more on mud. And so sometimes when we, or you know, as an industry offer up solutions that may cost money, you know, really realizing the gain on the other side, again, is, is part of that as well. So I just want to mention that because it's, you know, we've we've ran into that where, you know, it's just, oh, just SOP to ream in and out of the hole. And it's like, hey, if we spend a little more. Yes, I know our mud bill is going to go up, but your well costs are going to drop, and they did. And mm-hmm. it was like, okay, wow, like that was really cool to see. Yeah, absolutely.
0: You know, and and kind of going like taking it in a, a an even bigger kind of macro scale, you know, if you think about the economics and one of the things I've tried to emphasize, and it was more so on wells that are are going to go to production quickly, but what what we call the net present value of oil. So you make an investment. You say, I'm going to drill here because I expect to get a return of X. So, you know, it's normally if you get into the accounting side of things, you probably you borrowed money from somebody, whether it's through a bond or whatever. You borrowed money from yourself for that matter, and you made an investment expecting a specific return. Yeah. And you put a time period on that because there's a cost of not investing that money in something else just as much as there might be interest costs or something like that. And so if it takes me a couple more days to drill a well, you know, in unconventional is a little different because we'll go back and frack it and, you know, who knows when they're actually going to go back and frack it, but the closer together they can get from drilling that well and putting on production, the faster they get a return on that investment. And let's say it's a nine well pad and you add a day to each well because it was cheaper, you know, through lower cost products or, or that was sort of the math you were trying to make. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, so now you're a week and a half late to at least to your frac, so you've cost yourself ten days of of generating return, which doesn't sound like a lot, but then you get to the next pad and you get to the next pad, and quite honestly, you know, in some cases, this would motivate operators, particularly you know prior to the last downturn, they would bring on extra rigs just to make sure those wells were in, mm-hmm. but all of those rigs were drilling at slower rates, and the reason you needed more rigs was to make up for the slow rates of the other rigs. And so you just have these ballooning costs and as efficiencies returned, it was, well, we don't need nearly as many rigs and we can get our product to market much faster. So there's a lot of knock-on effects, but that's when, you know, I mean, you never talk to a drilling department that says, it's okay, to drill slower. Like, <laughs> right, yeah. um, they don't like to hear that. But at the same time, there's also the notion of accepting anything less than, you know, the maximum fastest return there's a cost to that too. Right. So, uh, that's such a good point. You know, that matter. And that's, I think, you know, Enterlight is that perfect example of you eliminate a casing string, you eliminate all this other supporting stuff, you knock off a few days because of you're not waiting on extra cement and doing some of these other things. And, you know, we saw with the direct emulsion, you know, I saw you could see operators estimate savings between $400,000 and $800,000 per well. You know, it was publicly disclosed. You know, which is sort of like knock your socks off numbers, but then you start adding up their total cost of ownership of the casing, the rig day, you know, yeah. all of that. And you're like, okay, I could, yeah, this is hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. You know, if you add up everybody involved and typically as a service provider providing that one service, we don't necessarily have every other cost they incur, Right. We have to either get it, which they're they're normally willing to share to some degree, but we add all that stuff up and we say, wow, you know, we can certainly see it. Yeah. But it's more than just one thing.
1: Right. And not to go off into the the mm. whole ESG world, but a lot of this stuff, too, we as a company or even operators, a lot of stuff, if we can capture enough data, can show that we're actually making, you know, right now there's a big push for operating sustainably. Mm. And so let's, you know, if we can eliminate trucks, eliminate product waste, that's eliminating, you know, vehicles on the road, you know, and ultimately lowering their carbon footprint, which You know, again, it's it's one of those things that's kind of the boogeyman right now, but it really plays into it. And if you can save a casing string, think of how much just the energy input of that extra casing string just on a macro level, you know, manufacturing the casing, all this and that and trucks on the road. And it really like the something we do, it's like the butterfly effect, something Mm. we do that's so small may have a great impact on the whole, you know, project. And so, again, you could go on and on and on with it, but but there's there's so many components that make it important And if we could somehow continue to capture it and understand that, it really just helps everyone understand why we do what we do and why you're paying the price that you are because of these great outcomes. Absolutely.
0: And it's another reason why we're always asking our customers what their their costs are at levels of granularity. They're uncomfortable answering. Like, it never (laughs) hurts to ask. And certainly when we have good relationships, we say, look, let's make sure we have the whole picture here. And, you know, this has been like, you know, kind of going on the, You know, we've had a few folks go back to water-based mud here and there for a variety of reasons. And, you know, one of the interesting things we run into, especially in these longer laterals, is, you know, pipe life. So, yeah, per barrel, water-based mud's cheaper. But with the cost of steel right now and some of these other things, if you're running higher sustained torque, you know, we've talked about corrosion control and that sort of thing. And hopefully that's being properly managed. But there's a chance you're going to trash some pipe it's going to fail more quickly than oil-based mud. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a very, we don't know if, you know, how much faster, right? But some folks we talk to say, no, you, you have to sort of move pipe into the consumable column now, which, okay, that sounds really expensive. And so how much do you get out of it? How does all of that work? That's a difficult calculation on total cost of ownership. But it could be that maybe you're not saving as much money as you thought, because you get hit with, you know, pipe replacement charges or
1: those sort of things. You're just shifting costs around.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And that's, you know, I I think that's a big fear of some folks. And so, and and rightfully so. So it's something we need to track and we need to have a better understanding of is how are your inspections coming out? You know, are our mitigation efforts working? And, you know, because it is fascinating, you know, so many of these factors are sort of Some of them are always the same. They're always high cost or not. Some of them are sort of variable and like even looking at disposal cost. Well, what's, you know, if I can dispose of it on site, that's obviously no transportation. As you mentioned, you know, carbon footprint, all that stuff, or we're all pretty happy, which is great. There are other situations where new disposal options open up. You're seeing some of this out in West Texas where new types of disposal options are available and that alters you know, your overall costs, maybe you still have to transport it, but maybe your disposal cost per barrel goes down. Right. And then how does that affect my decision-making on what types of products I use? You know, and, and what's interesting is you can see this on a macro scale. When you go to certain parts of the world where like only a certain base oil is approved for a certain type of disposal. Guess what? Everybody's using that base oil. You know, if it's got to be paraffin based to, for the land farming in the area, You're using a paraffin base. No matter what base oil you love, you're probably using a paraffin. Because it just it lowers your cost so much that it makes a difference. Other times, not as much. And, you know, you you know, let's say that oil based and water based mud cuttings all had to be disposed of at the same place and they cost the same to dispose of. I don't think would ever be true, but let's just pretend. Mm -hmm. Well then, you know, oil based mud may actually be cheaper because I'm probably going to produce less waste volume. With oil based than water based, right? So, you know, you have to think of all of these factors and put them all together. Right. And it's a shift, it can be a shifting landscape depending on what you're up against in the location you're at.
1: Yeah. No, that's a good point. And I just don't think a lot of, at least like folks that I've dealt with, it's hard to really think about all of that. Some of them don't have the time, some of don't have the resources, but again, it all plays together. And I think it, you know, it's an easy argument to be had. What about, you know, new introducing something new? You know, there's certainly risk involved with that, and, and I'll let you speak on that.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, it goes back to some of it is, did I just shift costs, right? Did I move a cost that I was incurring in fluids into another place? And did I add more uncertainty? You know, So there's that. We've talked a lot about trying to capture performance, and is it really having the impact that we hoped when we introduced new technology? So we try and track all that data. We try and continue you know, to demonstrate it. But it can work the other way too, right? Like yeah. you have a really tough well. You introduce something new. And was the cost factor actually the thing that's new or the change that you made, or was it just, was it something else in the well? And these things are so difficult to isolate, right? I mean, I think when we talked about case histories, it's sort of the joke where you have a record bit run at the same time you introduced a new drilling fluid and, you know, who gets all the credit, right? Yeah. Because I guarantee you both service companies are going to take it. So isolating those things are, are really, really tough. And, you know, we have to go back and really try and nail down. And that's where sample space. Thankfully, we drill a lot of these wells. So hopefully we get another shot at a
1: new introduction, <laughs> right. you
0: know, and, and can repeat it. But it's not
1: straightforward and it's not trivial. Very, no, exactly. Let's talk about comparisons real quick too. I mean, it's, at the end of the day, operators like to compare their vendors to make sure that they're getting the best, you know, best bang for their buck, I guess, mm-hmm. if you want us to put it that way. Which is tough to do because oftentimes people get, you know, do a little strategizing on how they show their costs. So can you speak a little bit on the comparing and perhaps there's maybe some unequal definitions of it?
0: So I think it's interesting when we talk about drilling performance data, you know, what's your definition of, you know, so I think spud to rig release is pretty good, but sometimes people say, oh, our, you know, our drilling days or, you know, they consider the well drilled once you get to TD, which, you know, is true, but you still got to run casing and cement it and do a few other things. So when you say we drilled, you know, a five-day well, they are like, wow, that's impressive. And it's like, right, you haven't actually finished the well. Like, you didn't release the rig. Yeah. You still have casing to run and a bunch of other things. And that's going to add a few more days, which makes a huge difference. And so context and details matter in, in those cases. You know, in the drilling fluid world, I think it's, you know, how are you tracking your base oil costs, for example, in oil-based mud? Just because if it's on there that adds a lot of money. If it's not, that matters too, because it makes it seem a lot cheaper than it really is. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, some of the tricks with, with a lot of the commodity stuff is commodities are the easiest things to compare, right? We want to, if you're, if you're working in supply chain, you want to pretend like everything's the same and all I'm doing is picking the cheapest one, right? So what's your Bayright cost? You know, what's this, what's that? And you know, some folks say, "Okay, well, if you're going to measure me by that, I'll sell my Bayrite at a you know next to nothing or a loss, and then I'll get you on all the other products because you're only looking at Bayrite." Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, that's not total cost of ownership, right? That's just looking at one thing, and and you know, Bayrite's a huge cost that people keep a close eye on, right? Sure. Bayrite supply matters, but it's not that these people aren't going to go get paid, and certainly with if you think about. Who's the decision-maker? It's a drilling engineer with 80 vendors. It's somebody in supply chain who they're just trying to compare apples to apples. And the easiest thing they can do is tell me what your product is. Tell me what your product is. Oh, yours is cheaper? All right, you're cheaper. And so it's like this huge battle of educating, illustrating, and doing it in an honest way when, you know, quite frankly, they know you have an agenda, right? I mean, but you're, you're trying to stick up for yourself. And so hopefully, what you, you know, in the midst of all that, you can present quality data that stands on its own, even if you're not in the
1: room. Yeah. And that's tricky. No, it is. No, and these are conversations, you know, internally, it's one thing. But when I'm talking to customers and bringing some of this stuff to light, it often spurs some really interesting ideas and sort of some, you know, different Ways of approaching the problem, and so it's. I encourage everyone to really think about, you know, like how everything affects everything else. I guess is the easiest way to say it. And you know, if you're on a rig, think about okay when you know. Look at you know. Okay, this interval cost and you know, and even get with the directional drillers. And, you know, how many you know? Is our ROP better this well versus last well? And if it is okay, extrapolate. Oh well, we you know drilled this one in X amount of hours compared to another one, and you know. If you kind of think beyond that, then oftentimes it can really just help you sort of dial yourself in, understand how much value you are creating for that operation. And sometimes it's a small piece of the pie, and but it ultimately affects everything. And again, you know, talking to customers and especially drilling engineers who have a good idea of how this all affects each other. It really, again, just spurs some really, really great conversation and it really helps just with different ideas and getting creative on how we can reduce that total cost cuz if you're strictly always looking at, you know, product price and price list, I think you sort of get tunnel vision and you don't consider other possibilities that could, you know, potentially help, you know, save days on a well. So, yeah, absolutely. It, that was kind of my summary. Matt, how would you close up?
0: I mean, it's like you said, it's a very complex and dynamic environment. We're trying to get the whole picture and Service is definitely the most difficult thing to define. And, and quite honestly, one of the things I noticed when I joined AES is we have a lot of folks that are really good at what they do, but they expect everybody, they hold everyone to that standard. And so, you know, I'm like, hey, you, you really need to point out that we save this customer five or six hours by changing that. Like that was your idea and it was a really good one. And they're like, well, this is what I do. And I'm like, no, I, the customer really needs to understand that this is where we bring the value yeah. because guess what? there's a salesman from a competitor knocking on the door telling about all the other things they think they can do. And they don't have to prove anything because they haven't had to do any of the work yet. It's the grass is always greener, right? Yeah. And so you need to keep reminding them of, of where you've made a contribution because it's pretty hard sometimes to define value added in a service, especially on one well versus another. And, you know, to your point, you kind of have to show over time that progression, mm-hmm. but it's the most important thing, right? Like, if you're a service company you're providing a service yes you're providing products you know be it a drill bit or whatever but the fact is that there's some sort of support to that that adds the value that's necessary to maximize the benefit yeah where someone says you know what i you know i don't want to go with the cheapest i want to go with the best right because that's where the value is that's where the lowest total cost of ownership lies and you know value attribution requires a lot of information you know, you've got to have the data to make the case. Yeah. And I I mean, like I said, I think we're we're good at it, but we could always be better just looking. At, and I think those the exercises with customers say, okay, let's find all the pain points. Let's find, you know, even when you talk to a customer about it, you know, they say, Well, we always have to ream through this section and you know, it adds a few hours. But if you ask them if they have any problems, they say no. It's mm-hmm. like, well, no, actually that reaming is a problem. Like, what if we got rid of that? Well, that'd be awesome. That'd save me. Send me four hours, like okay. Well, let's let's see if we can do something to save you on the reaming. Yeah. But because everyone's just used to, I drill that section, and that's how you do it. Right, it becomes acceptable. That's your baseline, and so many times, even status quo is can be challenged. Yes, and you can pick away at value, but that comes back good customer conversations, and maybe even bringing in other service companies that don't deal in drilling fluids to offer up a suggestion or two.
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's all about the relentless pursuit of getting better. Matt, that was a great way to close up. And if anyone out there has any thoughts on this, again, I love having these types of conversations a little bit more, you know, kind of high level 30,000 foot view. But sometimes when you push a button and tweak a dial, you can really move the needle in ways that you would never otherwise expect. So again, if you want to hit us up, LinkedIn is the best place. Matt and I are both on there quite actively. Again, follow AES on LinkedIn. We put out a ton of great content. We're always Updating on whether it be new technology, different podcast episodes, different events we've been attending. I think we've done a fantastic job. A big shout out to our marketing department, Adelaide, you know, for just getting us involved with a lot of great causes, yourself included, Matt, with The School's. We got a great charity event coming up for Christmas. So really just doing as much as we can to give back to the community and really just create awareness around all the great things that, you know, us at AES are doing, but the entire industry. And yeah, you can hit us up at the Flowline podcast at aesfluids.com. If you have any drilling fluid related questions, drilling operations questions for create topics, we'd love to hear from you. And with that said, happy holidays, everyone. And we'll catch you next week. Take care. Thanks, everybody.
0: Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flowline. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.